0: This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun and friends.
1: Kevin Connolly is an Islander fan since birth. Who are your all-time three favorite players or people in Islanders history?
2: Okay, well, right out of the gate, I have to go with, to me, one of the most underrated players in the, in the dynasty era um, was John Tonelli. Was happy to see that he finally got his accolades and his jersey hangs in the rafters. But you talk about 19 straight playoff series and, and, and four consecutive Stanley Cups. Without John Tonelli... Uh, those numbers are, are way watered down and, and some of the goals that he has scored, uh, you know, and the just and just plays that he's made to me make him makes him one of the all time greats. I don't think he gets enough credit. Second favorite. I know this is <laughs> don't don't roll your eyes at me, Chris, but I, this let's we're just talking facts here. Right. Garth Snow. Okay, you guys were friends. People could say whatever they want, but that's not even friends. Friends are are friends. But let's talk about his his drafting skills. Right. And when you think about it, you got Barzell, Beauvillier, Pellick, Pollock, Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, which I actually uh, drafted. Uh, You know, Matt Martin, the list goes on and on and on. Um, And you have to think that with with the draft, uh, the building was in the shape that it was in. It wasn't exactly a, uh, a destination, so Garth had to work through the draft. And I think the success that we see today, you have to give Garth Snow a little credit for some of his draft work. And also, you got to imagine that Lou and Barry look at, at, at the, the draft picks and, and the farm system, and, and that's what makes them jump on board. So got to give a shout-out to, to Garth Snow. And then, you know, last, uh, John Ledecky and uh, or Scott Malkin. I mean, you buy the team – and what's the smartest thing to do? You hire great people around you and then you step back and you let them, you let them do their thing. And, and that's why they're successful in business and for them to go out, get the new building, bring in Barry Trotz and Lula Morello, and then step back and let them do their thing. Uh, that would be my top three A favorite or, 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 or impact, let's say from my end.
1: Totally understand. Great choices. And, and, and most of them, not a surprise. Love the Tonelli pick, especially. He, his face is in the picture of every big goal scored for that time. Right. it's amazing he whether he's mix. yeah whether he scored it or not he, he made it happen even Morrow 884 you're listening to hockey press pass presented by instat hockey our guest is Kevin Connolly the Long Island native who's enjoyed an outstanding career on screen from a starring role on HBO's iconic entourage and on unhappily ever after to the notebook Secretariat and many other hit movies Kevin has also built a podcast company action park media which includes victory the podcast Sean on Avery's No Gruffs Given, Mike Carver's Isle Seat Podcast on the Islanders, and many others. By the way, if, if this, show ends up, this episode winds up uh, sounding a little better than usual, it's because Kevin Connolly has a podcast company. On, on, on Saturday, November 20th, Kevin, Doug Ellen, Kevin Dillon will take their podcast to the Paramount in Huntington, Long Island. I know there's something else going on that night, uh, but if you can make it, the Paramount is a beautiful place, and you know that Doug and the two Kevins and the Entourage crew are going to put on a great show. Most importantly for this discussion, Kevin's an Islander fan and the director and narrator of one of the best all-time sports documentaries, to my mind, Big Shot, about John Spano, the man who bought the New York Islanders in the 1990s, despite having no fucking money I can't I mean I just I lived it and I,
2: I mean, you, you had to you had to drop the f-bomb there because it's 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 necessary I mean it's pretty wild what what Spano did it's pretty crazy
1: I lived it and I can't I still can't believe it happened and the best compliment that I could give or as many compliments I can give a uh, big shot you did an amazing job is that a good friend of mine was at the Tribeca film Festival when I don't know if it was the first time you showed it but one of the first times and uh, she lived through it with me and and she called me after and she said, Chris, it was like for me, it was like watching a horror movie. I was watching it through my fingers and like sneaking down because uh, you covered it all. You mentioned uh, the Brock Nelson pick of, of Garth and, and the team. Um, can you take it? I actually wasn't even thinking to ask you that, but. OK, it's one thing for you to go up on the stage, but even for an actor, right, you got to get a credential. You got to be at the table. What do you remember about that? And I assume it was between, uh, you know, Garth and Charles Wong were probably behind it.
2: Yeah, they, you know, they they were. And, um, you know, that particular year it was at the Staples Center. Um, the draft was at the Staples Center that year. So I, I, I was invited to sit sort of at, at the draft table. And, you know, they, they told me that I had to make sure I had a suit on. So I, I said, yeah, I can, I can handle that. So I was sitting at the draft table. There was no real, um, there was no real plan for me to do it. It kind of was happened sort of spur of the moment. And uh, Charles was like, what do you think? You know, and Charles, I don't know what you remember of him, but to me, uh, he, this is a great man that was uh, had philanthropy at the forefront of his mind at all times and he was just a fun guy. And, uh, you know, I guess it did, maybe didn't go over terrific with the hockey purists. But Charles and Garth said, hey, you want to go up? There's this kid. He's up there. Uh, he's sitting there. We looked over took a peek at Brock Nelson. And I said, uh, I don't know. He's kind of skinny. We might have to put get some meat on this guy's bones. But um, I went up with my card. And, uh yeah, you know, strangely, it's 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 such a great memory for me. I I can't even I can't even tell you, and and it just happened so quick. If I would have known before, I would have probably been nervous. But it just happened, and I just there I was, and you I remember shaking hands at Brock Nelson and him thinking like, what is going on here, you know?
1: <laughs> when I would write about Nelson Brock on the on the uh, blog or any time I'd reference him, not every time, but most of the time I would I would say something like Brock Nelson, comma the Kevin Connolly pick. Comma, you know, did did you take a a, a, you're, you're a good fan, but did you take an extra vested interest in him when he was in college and then working his way up because thinking, you know, I want this guy to work out, man? Oh,
2: listen, the minute I looked at his name on the card, I said, I need this guy to be, this is, this is a big deal. I need this guy to, to turn in numbers. So to watch what he's done has been, has been incredible. What's even funnier is people will say, did you actually make that pick? And I'm like, no, of course not. I read it off. I read it off an index card. But my question for you, Chris, is what would have happened if I would have gotten up there and gone rogue? and drafted my own player. Would the Islanders have been stuck with that person?
1: They absolutely would have, yes. Do you think? Oh, the way Central Registry does it, and it might have been Claude Laisel at that time, I'm not too sure who, uh, who was in that spot, but yeah, they if you had named somebody who was on a list somewhere, they would have absolutely stuck with it, and the proof in that is there have been, not by the Islanders, thankfully, but there have been, like, famous mistake picks before in the sixth round, or the seventh round, or things like that, so, and also, you know, Brock was the first rounder, but it was like 30th or 28th he was he was last he was he was the third he was the 30th pick yep. there's no sure thing but he's a great player i've talked about it on our show like he's a great all-around player you got to be proud yeah yeah I'm,
2: I'm i'm proud and i wish i could take credit for uh drafting him but i would have to uh, nod give the nod to garth on that one
1: before i uh ask you about the documentary which continues to fascinate me i've seen it probably once a year since it's come out your feistiness on social with uh Uh, occasional media member or a fan for years. Is that, is that the, I mean, that, you know, knowing you just a little bit, is that, is that the Long Island in you? Is that, and and also, you're also, you're a guy who sticks up for your friends, your friends, like you're, you're, you know, this is your team, but whether it be Snowy or somebody, you got that feisty and I, I like that. Is that something that, do you ever resist it? Do you ever regret it? You know, the
2: truth is, Chris, that Twitter is such a cesspool and it is a cesspool. There, there are no jokes on Twitter, even when you're joking, if that makes any sense, right? So a lot of things that I'm saying, and that's why more times than not, it might be like a beat reporter, but I'm, I'm, I'm 90, 85% joking around. And usually I'll, if I take a shot at somebody, I'll like DM them like a winky face, you know, whatever, to let them know that it's like sort of all fun. But but yeah, there is a side of you that... um. Gets defensive of whether it's a player or whoever that that you happen to be partial to or or friendly with. But uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, I'm more joking than anything else. But nowadays, it just in Twitter, it just doesn't read that way. Right. It's like Twitter is a war zone. It's the worst place in the world, but I do. And, and like Daniel Friedman, for whatever reason, I just like, I just like, I don't know. I like picking on him. I don't know why it's just, he's a fun guy to go out on Twitter, but you know, we're always quietly DMing each other saying like, Hey, you know, all fun and all, all good and all fun and games.
1: It's good for the Friedman brand. My favorite one, I don't know if you still do this, but when I was really on it uh, in the blog days, especially where you you would actually make the effort, God bless you, to click on the guy's profile photo and 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 if he was not handsome, for example, like me, or there was something, or something about his bio, you would uh, you would point yeah. that out. Oh yeah,
2: people got mad. I told the guy that his dog was ugly, but I, I I couldn't even see his dog. I never. I'm like looking at the little profile pic. I said his dog was ugly, but the same thing. And then more times than not, you know, on social media, they want the response out of you. So somebody takes a shot at you on social media, and you respond, and they. A lot of times they res- will shoot you a DM like, oh, hey, man, sorry. I was just trying to get a response. Big fan, you know? So there's this, like, this on the surface, it's Venom. But for the most part, ev- everybody's pretty cool. But, yeah, you know, again, it's the same thing. It's just, just having fun. People can dish it out, but they don't they, they don't necessarily like to take it either, you know?
1: Yeah, no. Uh, I'm also wondering as a creator, a filmmaker, an actor, um, an artist, do you have an opinion on – on, the, on how teams promote their players, whether it be on social media, their videos. Uh, I can ask you about ESPN and TNT. Like, is there something about hockey and the way the game either sells itself or fails to that, you know, you just say, you just say man, I wish they did that better?
2: Well, I mean, I think, I think when you look at social media as a whole, it's probably better just to stay off of it, right? When you're – I mean, you know, do you see Sidney Crosby – Firing off tweets about this or that, it's like it just, it's just. There's so much can go wrong. Um, Yeah, there's a there's there's big downside to it. And uh, that said, you know, as a as a huge fan of hockey, to me, you know, I I know whatever it's a it's a smaller, you know, niche sport of a a niche sport. If you talk about the the four major sports, so from a marketing standpoint, of course, I want to see hockey promoted, uh, best as possible. But yeah, I don't want to see any of these, any of these young guys get into that sort of social media mess that, it, that exists. And it's such an easy thing to, to fall into, you know, then you're telling people their dogs are ugly and this just no good from there. You know,
1: it all goes down. And how do you follow the Islanders? Read, watch the games. How do you, how do you consume? How do you stay on top of it?
2: You know, it's, it's crazy. Like the NHL package. I mean, I could at any point just click it on and you know for whatever 50 bucks a year I can watch a game on my phone but I, I like to watch and particularly big games um I like to I prefer to watch them alone you know and, and by alone I mean like at, a, at my house where I can kind of pace and not sit down during overtime and I have my whole system as if, as if that matters or works at all <laughs> but uh yeah I'm kind of superstitious with
1: the games I hear you. I right, now on Big Shot, and I would encourage everybody all everybody who's now added ESPN Plus, like I have, uh, it, it comes up. You you get it. I actually bought it on YouTube a year or two ago for a dollar because I needed to see it for something. So uh, please make sure you see it. All hockey fans, not just Islander fans. It's a, it today today t- even today. I tell people what happened, and they don't know the story or they can't believe that it happened and what you got so right which I didn't I remember hearing about the piece was going to be worked on and my question was are you going to you or whoever was going to be working on at the time it was early um were you were you going to be able to get Spano were you were you going to be able to get all the major players so but you did you got literally I don't think there was not anyone that I missed maybe there was for you let's start with John Spano how did you reach out to get him and how did you I mean you got you convinced him to tell his side of the story?
2: Right. Well, you know, that that um when I went in to meet the the guys at ESPN, Connor Shell, to sort of pitch my version of it, uh I, I said, I'm gonna get I'll I'll get Spano. And then there was a list of people that he had denied interviews. Diane Sawyer, this one, that one, a whole list of people. And I said, well, you know, listen, I'm going to get him. And I don't know what it it was. I just knew I I had an angle on him. And truthfully, the first thing I did was call his lawyer. I called his lawyer and said, look, we're doing this movie. I already got the job. I already got paid. I'm making this movie with him or without him, which truthfully was was not necessarily the truth, but I needed to get him. I said, so to me, it would be in his best interest to to have his side of the story out there because uh, the ship has already sailed. I'm doing the movie. So that meeting with the lawyer led to a sit down with John. And then he, he had me jump through a bunch of hoops. He had me fly out to Ashtabula, uh in Ohio, uh where where he went to high school with Urban Meyer and then hang with his friends. And he he really ran me through it. But it was um it was psychological warfare at at the highest levels because he's uh he's a complex cat, clearly, right? Um but up until the very last minute it was very uh, it was very Frost Nixon. You know, I can remember sitting in my hotel room the night before we were supposed to do the interview at nine in the morning, like three in the morning. He calls. He's like, "I can't do it. I can't do it." He's like backing out. I was like, "John, I will see you in the morning. Don't you dare!" Long story short, we got it. We got him. You know. Um, and then, and then, you know, you know, you know, John got ten years in prison after the movie came out. Did you know that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Of course he blames, he blames me, but I, I didn't know not nah, blames me, but look, the, we, the movie came out and his boss, his current employer at the time went back and looked at the books and John was doing the same thing too. Look, it, 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 it is what it is. I, I, he did manage to build a little bit of a soft spot. I had a, a soft spot for him. I, I I did feel bad for him. That's also part of, part of what he does, you know, um, but yeah, it was it was it was it was really wild to to, to get him, and I mean the tension in the air because we couldn't roll the cameras until his until he signed on that dotted line. So he's sitting in that chair and in hair and makeup and cameras, lights, and the the contract is sitting in front of him on the desk or the release. I said, John, we can't do anything till you sign it. And just with a shaky hand, he signed it, and 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 away we went. So. Um, yeah, man, it was, it was, uh, it was just a lot. I mean, like he wanted to fight me. It, it just, it was, it was everything that you would imagine him to be. And the dynamic all those years later with him and Milbury, I mean, I think they had words at the premiere at Tribeca. I think, you know, these is two guys that didn't like each other, but, uh, Peter Boddy and Alan Hahn and these guys were, uh, were pretty amazing. And I think him and Peter Body had words. I mean, he showed up at the premiere and it was it was something I'll never forget. That's for sure.
1: To hear this is somewhat surprising. I, I'm not surprised that he put you through the ringer, but, and maybe this is part of his illness, for lack of a better word. I try to.
2: No, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a serious illness.
1: Because in the documentary, and I know you're going to use the best stuff, right? But he seems pretty calm. He seems fairly proud. He he's determined. The things he says, like he doesn't come off as somebody shaky or wondering, should I be doing this while it's going on? Did was he? Did he turn it on when the camera was on? Well, I
2: I we had had lots of conversations, and I told him that I said, look, you're going to they're going to decide if you're going to sit there and lie again and do all the things that you did all these years ago. People are going to see right through you. But if you uh, are able to poke a little fun at yourself. And do it with kind of a wink and a smile. People will, people will will appreciate it. And and it's funny because I did see him uh, at some point after that. And he and he and he said to me, he said, you know, I was I was so. I guess he went to a, like a reunion uh, fraternity party, and he said, and I walked in with my head down because I was just embarrassed, and I I got uh, an ovation, and he said, and for the first time. I, I realized that I was a bit of a, a folk hero in my test. So he actually, he actually thanked me. But I told him, I said, John, if you're going to sit there and lie and do the same stuff, it's just not going to come off the right way. Got to take ownership of what you did. You served your time. Now just say it with a wink and a smile. Because like some of the excuses that, that he would come up with, I mean, like the, the IRA bombing and the, the, the excuses. And I said to him, like, John, did you really tell banker that there was an IRA bombing. He said, I did. I did. Yeah. And he's like, the more he laughed, the the easier, easier it was. And I think he came off pretty well, all things considered. You know, he came off like it was behind him, you know?
1: I can't get over the fact that he's, like, trying to blame you for—he was ripping people off after he got out of jail. I was going to catch up with him eventually, whether a movie was made about him or not. I mean, everybody's Googling everybody. I I get it. He's just looking for an excuse. Have have you— Yeah, I don't don't want to say he
2: blamed me. I just think he— Without that movie, he might not have gotten caught at that moment. And with people that live those lives, they believe what they're doing at the time is right.
1: He actually then might have helped a lot of people uh, by telling the tale. If you could look at it that way, too. Right. Like he could have done he could have done something far worse.
2: Can you imagine that he extended the cable deal at uh, on on Long Island (laughs) essentially? keeping the team there, which is something that people are not ready to hear. I think they're more uh, ready to accept uh, Garth Snow's impact on the team
1: than than, uh, John Spano keeping the team on Long Island with the cable deal. Everything about it is just amazing. Have you had, or if you can talk about have you had any contact with him recently?
2: You know what? I I, I did have the idea, and again, I just thought, like, man, I don't know. At a certain point, how could I do this to this guy? I didn't want to. I did have the idea of... um, you know to recording a a, po- a follow up kind of podcast from from jail you know or from prison or or, or wherever he is um but i don't know i, I just I, I made it made enough of a mess out of the guy's life or whether he deserved it or not so but it would i would it would be kind of cool to do a follow up interview with him for a podcast uh you know something i thought about
1: uh, among the other great gets and' Too many to mention. We wouldn't have time for it. But and it's especially relevant now was Gary Bettman, because Gary Bettman does not admit to mistakes. Um, most commissioners don't. Roger Goodell certainly doesn't. You could say anything to him and they will say, no, it, 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 this is why it worked out better for us. And I remember somebody, at the NHL, asking me about your request at the time. I gave my advice, which was to do it once, uh, so you, Gary could tell his side of the story once. Um, but were what was that like, and were you surprised? Because I actually—I I, shouldn't say actually—I thought Bettman came off really good in your movie. You know, I I
2: always tell people this, and I you know obviously they're like, whoa, well, you're such a big hockey fan, but I. Really do believe that Gary Bettman is by far the best commissioner in sports. That's just my opinion. Um, and whatever went on behind the scenes, I emailed Gary Bettman, and he responded like almost immediately. He said yes. There were no restrictions on the questions. He did not blink his eyes. He sat three feet in front of me and was ready for anything that I had to say. So I, I agree. I was I was very impressed with. Yeah, he could have very easily said, Oh, you know, he there was no restrictions. He just said, Yeah, let's 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 talk about it, you know. So it's a good Long Island guy for you right there.
1: Yeah. You had all the writers, uh, you know, in a way their uh, Han and Body were kind of the Greek chorus, you know, coming in, right. telling their story, Valenti a little bit, although he was even more of the story, but um but I believe, like, you know, Milberry, as always, uh, somebody who spent a lot of time at dinners with him, I actually saw him recently, he brings the entertainment factor, right? Like, it was gold to get him. I'm not surprised he did it, but he I felt like he brought his A-game. Like, everything—I was at his house when Spano called him once about coming on over to the Garden City Hotel with the thing. <laughs> right, that famous story, right. I was at with our wives there, Um So what was your, how did that go with Milbury?
2: You know, people ask me who my favorite interview was during the whole movie. And it is without question, you know, Mike Milbury. Now, again, what do I know about Mike Milbury? I know he yells at people. He beats up a Ranger fan with a shoe. I had no idea. I met Mike Milbury that we were doing the interview in the morning. I met Mike Milbury in the hotel lobby. We went to Peter Luger's steakhouse in Brooklyn. We ate. We had a, we had a great time. I, I still like when, when he's in LA or whatever, he'll hit me up and, and we'll go grab dinner. And, you know, it's, it's funny. He's just, what you see is what you get. Right. I mean, people could hate Millberry all they want, but, uh, I, I, I love the dude, man. And I, I've had nothing but great times, you know, hanging with him and, and going to dinner. And, uh, you know, he's just, uh, he's a straight shooter at Millberry, you know? And yeah. And he, to hear him talk about Spano, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He just tells it like it is.
1: Yeah, I uh, I that whole thing. I was in Hartford when the whole thing happened. With he, I fired him. No, I quit. Oh, that's a, that was a you could do an hour on that alone. Um, and then the you know uh, just this broad term. It's probably not appropriate, but you got the Feds. You know, you got the lawyers. Bill Skiian, who I worked with, loved the guy, but Bill Skiian never did an interview with anybody. So how'd you get so so so? I I just threw a bunch of people out there, but. But is that just right. is that grinding and just going after everybody?
2: You know, well, there's two things, right? So I think I think ESPN carries a lot of weight with where where there's uh, proof of concept, right? So you're going, okay, so what is this, right? If this were just a documentary, you don't know what the angle is, but with ESPN and Thirty for Thirty as a proven concept, I think that eased people's minds a little bit. And then there was a a certain thing with Joe Conway or or all these guys where I I think that it's something that they wanted to get off their chest, right? They all, you know, and then there were, remember the Gang of Four?
1: Yes, I worked for them.
2: Well, what, right. So one, one. I'm drawing a blank on, on his name. He called and
1: he's Polesky, Rosenthal, Walsh, and Greenwood. A couple of them sorry. in jail. Walsh was, uh, well, Rosenthal. He I, he admitted to the to the fishermen being an absolute disaster. I appreciated that.
2: Yeah, and he also said, and this is something that you know you have to respect and appreciate. You know, in media, you know, Rosenthal called me and he said, "Look, I, I'm a money manager." I work with people's money, and I need to be in this documentary to explain my side of the story. And I said, "Hey, man, say say no more." Ab- absolutely, and 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 rightfully so. Hey, you know, he wanted to get out there, and 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 so there were different people had different reasons. I feel like when I think about Conway and 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 the Feds, they just it's just like something that like they look back on, and it's the whole the whole uh, the levels of absurdity of the whole thing are. Laughable, And I don't want to say it's victimless crime because, of course, there's victims and people lost money. But I think it's something that years later people were able to sort of reflect on what they missed, what they didn't miss. You know, ironically, one of the guys were um, Pickett's lawyer. I'll tell you, I walked out of there and I was like, man, if I if I ever, that guy was scary. Uh, he, he literally, I was like, that was one interview that I was like, all right, I'm just going to get out of here. But at the premiere, he was like, had a drink in his hand. He was cool. And I said to him, hey, man, if ever I needed a lawyer, you would be my guy, you know? Um, so, yeah, we we had.
1: You, invite, you invited yeah. them all to the premiere.
2: Oh, they were all there and they were all hanging out. And, and you know, my favorite story, and you, you should have uh, Peter Boddy tell you this, but Spano had said, to Peter Body at like in some like underground bar that uh, Fat Tony Salerno or whatever it is, and so it ends up in the movie. And after the premiere uh, on the red carpet, Spano says to Peter, "By you, I I never said that." But you, you Baba, mother effing him up and down. Movie ends. We're having a couple drinks, and Spano walks up to Peter Body and goes, "All right, I might have said that. I might <laughs> I might have said that." Um, you know, it's funny. You know, the only. The only guy that I couldn't get that I really wanted was can I guess Dennis Potts. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, okay. I was actually so I actually I think he so he passed a few years ago. But I, I just thought maybe a Pickett family member.
2: Oh yeah, no Pickett family was was yeah that. And by the way, that was a hard no, and that scary lawyer was as close as we were getting to Pickett.
1: That's a Garbo thing. Like I, I worked for Downers. I never. I don't think I ever met. A, I might. I think I met Brett Pickett, but other than that, I never. Certainly never met John, and I worked for. Him.
2: So, but Dennis Podvin, I guess, made the introduction in, I don't know where it was, I guess, maybe Florida or wherever, wherever it was. But I think uh, Dennis made it sort of a preliminary introduction with Spano and Pickett. So I don't think he really wanted to, uh, wanted to do that. And, um, and Mario Lemieux, who, who, you know, was a victim of, uh, you know, Spano took X amount of dollars from whatever. And, you know, Mario didn't, didn't want to talk, but, but Gretzky... Came in and and, and to me, uh, like one of the great sound bites from Big Shot is Gretzky talking about having to walk past the Islander locker room when they're celebrating in packed and ice, and these guys all looked like they, you know, just got off, uh, you know, the 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 model runway, you know, and talking about what he learned from the Islanders, and that was a was a great sound bite. Same thing, Wayne Gretzky, come on, yeah, come to the house, show up with a camera crew, stand in the Wayne Gretzky's house talking about how great the Islanders are. And it's, it's pretty, uh, and, you know, I was an Islander fan growing up. I'm like, there's news. You were an Islander fan growing up.
1: And I'm glad you captured uh, the Nystrom-Gillies dynamic. I mean, I, you know, what my, one of the joys of working there. You know, like you had your experience with Mike and going to dinners with him and 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 getting to know uh, Bob and Clark. Like, these are like the best people and fun, right? It was, it was,
2: am- it was amazing. And, you know, wh- I remember... The, 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 the outtakes, the raw video of that interview was like three hours long. The producer was like, Kevin, um, I think you covered it with these guys. Um, but there was some really good stuff that ended up not making the cut. That was pretty, I was like, oh, man. Um, you know, there was just things that I wanted to get in there, but it was like kind of straying, you know, from the point, you know, so that I guess uh, with the, the finals, is it, it, it was two, three, two. Or it was right? And then they, and when they were on the run to the fifth cup, they changed it to 2 3 2. And then after the Islanders lost, they changed it back to 2 2 1 1 1. And Clark said, and you can put this in, um, you know, I firmly believe. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But it was a little bit, it was a little bit off story. And then the other story that I was dying to tell, but it just, you know, I had to get cut for time. And when I talked about John Tonelli, you know, was that, that Pittsburgh game you know, and they're in the middle of the run, you know, after two cups, you know, John Tonelli's a little bit off that night and, and you know, they're, we're not having that conversation. So I had a big piece of the movie, which is like every dynasty has a close call. Down two goals in the third. It looked dim, my brother. Five and a half minutes left in the game, down by two. And uh, I remember Bill Simmons was like, Kevin, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, that was the other thing too, I got to say about Bill Simmons. When I turned in my first cut of big shot, Um, they were like, Bill Simmons has a couple notes. And I was like, uh, Bill Simmons has Islander notes for me. Really? Okay. I'm curious. I get his notes. I'm looking at him. I'm like, Hmm, it's pretty good notes. (laughs) All right. Tell Bill I stand corrected. And, uh, yeah, you know, so it was, it was, it was a tremendous experience. And the one day that we shot at the Coliseum was pouring rain and lo and behold, it was raining in the building. So, you know, there's always, uh, there's always some lucky bounces, uh, in filmmaking or, or unlucky bounces, but that for me was, uh, was a lucky bounce. Cause you got, you got Alan Hahn and Peter Bonnie talking about it raining in the press box and then we go outside and right there it's the giant hole in the ceiling. Um, so yeah.
0: Hey guys, it's producer Pat Boyle, more with Chris Botta and Kevin Connolly, including Kevin's time on Entourage when we get back. On Hockey Press Pass. Hey,
1: everybody, it's Chris. I want to take a moment to thank and tell you all about Instat Hockey. I'm a subscriber and think the world of their product. They were the first major company to jump on board as a presenting sponsor of my podcast. I can't thank them enough. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and, of course, members of the media, like the people we spot each week on press pass. The Instat hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. I've used their platform and so have many of the coaches I've worked with, so check them out. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. instatsport.com hockey.
0: Hey guys, it's Pat, and I want to tell you about Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. A huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale. From old favorites to the hottest new releases. A library of over 400 board games for open play every day. Our staff help you pick out games and show you how to play. Find your crowd at one of our Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, or Dungeons & Dragons events for adults and kids, including our D&D after-school program, Offered both virtually and in person. A full-service cafe, food and drink, coffee and desserts, beer and wine, fun and friends. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village, go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Unplug your
1: game. What was it like? And so you know, entourage really took off, and uh, you uh, were friendly with the team, and you got a little closer, a peek at the team, right? then than a typical fan, uh, did you get a deeper appreciation for what the players go through, what snowy and, and management and the coaches and all the work that's put in? Like, what was that experience like for you?
2: Yeah, it was it was. Uh... It was, it was a tremendous experience. I mean, uh, it was, it, it was so fun and yeah, to be behind, just to kind of get a little bit of a, uh, a peek behind the, uh, behind the, behind the curtain, you know, I, you know, again, in, in, at that time you have to understand, like, honestly you go to an Islander game on a Sunday afternoon there'd be at 1500 people there. Right. So, you know, um, yeah, I just have always been a fan. So I, I never went like banging on like any doors. I was there then I've always been there and, uh, it started with a couple of charity uh, events that I would go to and then, you know, developed a few relationships and um, Charles called me and wanted me to come into his office. I was a little nervous. I wasn't sure. And then we jumped in his Range Rover and he took me to a, a, a Chinese food
1: restaurant and a strip mall. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I had a memorable... Orient, maybe? Uh, if I had here, he would always... It was one guy in particular. We got to go to Johnny's. I forgot the guy's name. But it was always... He always got from the same place, the strip mall.
2: Yes, and it was uh, it was um, it was a it was a, a lunch like like no other that's for sure. But you know he I remember he said to me because you remember Charles you know listen you don't you don't make a billion dollars thinking inside the box right? So he was talking about remember he was talking about uh, two goalies and a and a sumo wrestler in the net. And he said to me he said to me he said you know when they brought in a a, a soccer player to kick field goals. Everybody thought it was crazy, but they changed the game. And while that's maybe an extreme version of two goalies, um, that's just the, to me. I'm like, wow, that's this is why he's he's thinking outside the box. And he said, "I'm not going to try two goalies until we're in first place." I said, "That's a good idea, Charles."
1: <laughs> but I, I I really I loved the man. Man, he was great. No, at the outset of the the our interview, you said he was a fun. Guy, he just, he just, he wanted to make it fun and he wanted to win. Don't get me wrong, but he liked being around people who could laugh and uh, poke fun at themselves and he was a joy to be around he was he was always incredible to me and and i miss him a a real lot um you have plans on the 20th you have a a live show at the paramount which is going to be awesome it's such a great place and you and kevin and doug ellen are gonna have a great time uh and i'm sure a lot of long islanders are going to come out but do you have plans or currently have tickets for a game
2: I'm going to go to the Leafs game the next day. And I'm not just saying this, but it's a better game anyway. I'm not just saying that, but it's a better game anyway. No, I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to check out the new building. Um, I was lucky enough to be part of the shovel ceremony, which was fun. So I have my ceremonial Belmont UBS shovel uh, on display at my house. And then, um, yeah, man, I'm excited to go check out a game because truthfully, the last time I was there was literally dirt. Right, so what they've done in a short period of time is pretty incredible.
1: Do you have like a, a second favorite team? Like, will you, or you just Like, you know, I, I, it would be acceptable if you like the Kings or the Ducks.
2: Well, of course. I mean, listen, I had I had season tickets to the Kings for for a couple of years because I mean I'm a hockey guy, right? So I, I yeah, just like I just like to go to hockey games. So um, yeah, you know, and I I I also I just had a daughter, and um, you know, she's five months old today, actually. And, uh, you know, on, on the first day she was born was the, was the day we were, I was sitting at Cedar Sinai with her and we watched the, uh, Islander game and that heartbreaker from Marshand looked at it and I said, there's your first heartbreaking overtime loss. Uh, there will be more to come. So, um, you know, but, uh, no, I, I, I've decided that my, my daughter is going to be with the exception of the Islanders, LA based teams. That's it. She's going to be Dodgers, Lakers, Rams and Islanders. That's it. So the Islanders will be the one, uh, the one mulligan that will give her. But other than that, we'll want to keep it local.
1: How's it been working with Sean Avery? So Sean Avery
2: is, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's got a complex cat.
1: There's a reason why I asked.
2: Is <laughs> a complex cat. No, I've known Sean for a long time, and I, I was telling this story about Sean Avery is when, you know, one day, uh, you know, I, I have a. Cousin of mine is a Ranger fan who we don't really like him, but he was young at the time and it was a, uh, it was a home opener and the Islanders just blew the doors off of the Rangers. And I'm outside the locker room with my, you know, my little cousin and he's an Avery fan and Avery comes out and he sees me and he's just, he's just, he's just so mad about the loss. I could see him stop, take a deep breath, compose himself. He said, what's up, Kevin? I didn't rub it in. I, I kept it professional but he took a, took a picture of my nephew and then sent him a signed jersey, which was, which was nice. And, you know, family is important, so that goes a long way. But, uh, yeah, Sean, is uh, he's, uh, he's one of one. I think that's uh, safe to say.
1: I see a show crosses over beyond sports and on on other yeah. on other lists and things like that. So it's good to see. And then, lastly, just your take on this season's Islanders: Are you a uh, uh, unbelievable all-in optimist for a championship, or where do you stand? You know, big picture, not regardless of you know perception of the first ten games or so.
2: Well, I mean, I think. Listen, I think at the end of the day, everybody. It, it's been a little bit sort of untraditional open the game on a open the season on a 13 game road trip. Um, And then, you know, expectations are different, right? They're no longer the little engine that could. Now you got their, their picks from real guys to win the Stanley cup. Right. So, um, I mean, I think staying healthy is, 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 is a big thing. I think there's obviously a lot of hockey left, which is why I don't get so like wrapped up like where they are in the standings. They're going to, they're going to hit their stride and they're going to, you know, they'll, and they'll be there. Right. And it's being healthy and, 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 and being ready to go playoff time. And it's, you know, at this point, it's crazy to say, but the Islanders are, they're a playoff team. They just got to be in the middle of the pack somewhere, right? whole mice would be great, but if not, you know, these guys have proven that they can win anywhere. And, uh, you know, last year, last year was tough to come that close because, you know, I think we could well, confidently say that I would like the Islanders chances against the Canadians, but, you know, they came up a, you know, a, a shorthanded goal short. It's a, it was a tough pill to swallow, but you know, I'm optimistic, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I don't think that any, any team uh, wants to face them, you know, and it, it's just so funny how, you know, you like, like myself, we've seen some pretty interesting Islander teams and then to watch is such a well-oiled machine and the, the professionalism that these guys carry themselves with, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I, I want to just jump right to it. You know, I want, I want the playoffs to start tomorrow,
1: so. See what happens. Are there uh, fellow actors or filmmakers uh, who are fans of other teams that you uh, talk a lot of trash with back and forth is where you guys take it pretty seriously? I mean, I don't know if anybody's as passionate as you are. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it, it,
2: it's, it's funny. Like sometimes, you know, I, I'll, I'll be in like a hockey circle where either a, lot, a lot of times it'll be in New York and I'll like walk in and get booed. I'm like, he's like, got just got booed by a table full of Ranger fans. Like, ridiculous. My friends are like, what was that about? I'm like, ah, ignore them. They're Ranger fans. They're like, well, what does that have to do with you? I'm like, that's a good question. I don't know, but that's what it's about. Um, but it's always been, it's always been in good fun. I think real hockey fans appreciate other real hockey fans. So while the trash talk is, is what it is. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like the, the hockey people that really love hockey. It's a, it's a smaller community. So, you know, um, yeah. I I I like I like the kind of the banter back and forth.
1: Well, you've been a great fan from the beginning and always supportive and good to the team. I know the team's been good to you too. You've uh, you've enjoyed this, but uh, you've earned these moments with the team being uh, great again and a contender and a new arena, which I I, I still can't believe it. Drove by the other. <laughs> yeah, right. It's really really surreal. Um, but I can't thank you enough for your time and everything you do for the team and and for for doing this show. It means a lot to me, Kevin.
2: Chris, thank you very much. Have a good one. I'll see you soon. Thanks, buddy. All right, be good. Thank you.
0: Hey, guys, it's producer Pat Boyle, and wow, what an incredible episode with Chris and Kevin. And for all you Hockey Press Pass lovers, that is not all we've got for you this week. Two episodes for the price of one, as just in a couple of days from now, next episode, we will chat with NHL.com's Brian Compton as we get you set. For the grand opening night of UBS Arena this upcoming weekend, the Islanders' brand new home. As always, we thank you so much for listening, for rating, subscribing. Everybody who always helps out on the show, couldn't do it without you guys. And of course you, the loyal listeners, for making this such a fun podcast to record each and every week. For everybody on the team, for Danny, Ksenia, of course Chris, And of course, Kevin Connolly, I'm Pat Boyle. This has been another episode of Hockey Press Pass.